This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. The Montana State Sheriff's Association has their undies in a bundle over one of my podcasts. Can you believe it? Welcome to the program. You know, I get invited to speak all over the country, speak on police issues, issues of race, crime, politics. And I end up turning down more than I actually take some of these conflict. And so I'm kind of choosy about where I go. I got invited to speak at the Montana State Sheriff's Association. And this is a couple months ago. And all of a sudden, an email comes in today. And they uh, pull back their offer. Here's what it says. Jim Smith, the executive director of the Montana Sheriff's Association, sent this email today regarding your June trip to Montana to speak to them. Quote, with regrets, with regrets, the Montana Sheriff's and Peace Officers Association finds that it is not possible to have Sheriff Clark attend a convention in June 2016. Please consider this email the association's notice of cancellation. We'll take care of things on our end. If any details at your end need to be taken care of, please let me know. That's kind of out of the ordinary. So my executive assistant called to find out what was going on. And, and here's what happened. This is from my executive assistant. The gist of what he told me is that the Montana and Western State Sheriffs took offense at the Blaze podcast you did in January regarding the Harney County standoff. You folks remember that. The sheriffs passed around the podcast and sheriffs all over the state contacted the Sheriff's Association and said they were pretty disappointed in your comments. They felt you criticized Sheriff Ward without having the facts and that you stepped over the line. He also said something about the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Censored. Can you believe that? Censored by the... Montana State Sheriff's Association. For any of you uh, listeners out there that know them, you might want to give them a call and tell them how shameful this is. First of all, you can go back to the podcast if you want. I didn't talk about the sheriffs. I talked and I asked the question, why does a Bureau of Land Management own so much land out west? That's what I talked about. Apparently, that rubbed them the wrong way. As I've said many times, there are no sacred cows on the people, Sheriff. If somebody's engaging in something I don't agree with, I'll tell you. It's just one point of view. I would like to think that these uh, individuals, the Montana State Sheriff's Association, would have gone through with their invitation, and, and if they had a problem, we could have had a discussion, a robust discussion. During my speech, I'm okay with that. I'm only one point of view. I believe that dissension is healthy in a democracy. 
Apparently, the Montana State Sheriff's Association doesn't think that I should have my own point of view. I find that quite remarkable, to be honest with you. I thought I was very... I went out of my way to not talk about what was going on down on the ground. I was briefed on the situation. No, nobody knows all the facts. They probably didn't know all the facts either. That's beside the point. Sheriffs have different points of view. There are Democrat sheriffs. There are Republican sheriffs. There are constitutional sheriffs. And we all get together twice a year. I was just out there in Washington, D.C. at the National Sheriffs Association. I see sheriffs from all over the United States. We don't agree on everything. But it is a fraternity. There's only a little over 3,000 of us throughout the entire United States. We kind of have to have each other's back. doesn't mean we're always going to agree. But to get your undies in a bundle, because I think the Bureau of Land Management, the Federal Government Bureau of Land Management, bullies ranchers out west into giving up their land that they do not relent until a rancher has no other recourse but to give up his land or her land. I think it's wrong. If you look at a map, Google this, folks. Land owned by the United States west of the Mississippi. You'll be floored by it. And I just simply asked the question, why does the Bureau of Land Management own so much land out west? We all get national parks. Okay, we get all that. But I just asked the question. Matter of fact, I ran into a congressman while I was at CPAC, and he's going around right now trying to get supporters for a bill to force the federal government to give that land back to the states, unless they have some damn good reason to own it. The national, you know, states can run parks. States will do just fine. They'll preserve that land. That's taxable land that can go toward the states, state budgets, ranchers' land, or for whatever whatever use the state wants to use it for. It's a states' rights issue. But that's not what I what I want to get into. You know, for this, it's the attitude of the Montana State Sheriffs Association and the Western State Sheriffs. Apparently, they don't side with their people. They're on the side of the federal government. At least that's what this cancellation is telling me. They said they had a problem with what I said on my one of my uh, podcasts. Again, all I did was ask the question, why does the Bureau of Land Management own so much land? And why do they bully American citizens? It was amazing. And, you know, they can have their point of view. I don't stick my nose into another sheriff's business. I talked about the Bureau of Land Management. And then again, you know, there's an organization out here, the Montana State Sheriff's Association. I didn't know they were this thin-skinned. You know, my perception of a Montana State Sheriff is, is like old school. You go back and the old sheriff, right? Tough, tough as nails, grit. 
But apparently they're easily wounded because someone has a point of view other than their own. I don't really care what they do in Montana. The sheriffs, I don't live in Montana. I don't live in Oregon. I don't live in Arizona with that, uh, or was it Nevada, I'm sorry, with the Bundy standoff. I side with the ranchers because they're being harassed by the Bureau of Land Management. Some constitutional issues here. I'm a constitutional sheriff. So like I said, if you if you know any Montana state sheriffs, maybe give them a call and ask them whose side they're on. They don't, I don't mean whether they're on my side. They don't have to be on my side. Are they on the Bureau of Land Management's side or the people in the state who reside in the state that they uh, have jurisdiction over? That's all. I think it's a question worth asking. So I'll keep you uh, posted. But, you know, I am flattered that my podcast is being listened to and passed around all across the country. That's kind of what this the objective is. When you have a program, you hope people tune in. Different points of view. This is, my mind is just one point of view, folks. That's all. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's just a different school of thought. I do not like the Bureau of Land Management. The Federal Bureau of Land Management. They harass United States citizens. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to get into presidential politics. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand David Clark, the People's Sheriff Let's do something that's fun to do Let's go back in time The date, Wednesday, February 1st, 2012 You know, as we go through this presidential primary I hear a lot of fatalism I hear a lot of adjectives used to describe this I hear phrases like uh, we've never seen anything like this before and we have a tendency as humans to look at what's right in front of us this moment in time what I mean by that and think that this is unlike any other time that we've been through so I'm at home and I find some old New York Times newspapers. My gosh, I mean, they're, they're yellowing. They're so old. And I pick it up. I wasn't even looking for this. I pick it up. It says, Romney wins biggest Florida votes taking back the reins. Romney calls on GOP to unite behind him. Gingrich vows to stay in the race. I want you to hear this and, and draw the parallels to today. Just change the names. Mitt Romney rolled to victory in the Florida primary on Tuesday, dispatching the insurgent threat 
from Newt Gingrich and reclaiming his dominant position as he urged Republicans to rally behind his quest to capture the, capture the party's presidential nomination. The commanding victory by Mr. Romney offered a forceful response to the concerns that were raised about his candidacy only 10 days ago after a stinging loss to Mr. Gingrich in the South Carolina primary. It stripped Mr. Gingrich of his momentum and raised questions about his efforts to persuade Republicans of his electability. A competitive primary, it's a quote, does not divide us, Mr. Romney told his cheering supporters. Let me read that again. A competitive primary does not divide us, Mr. Romney said. It prepares us and will win. He urged Republicans to focus on defeating President Obama, declaring, I stand ready to lead this party and to lead this nation. The outcome of the Florida primary promised to reorder the field of Republican candidates. As Mr. Gingrich pledged to fight on, saying that he would resist attempts to drive him from the race, he faced a newly aggressive challenge from Rick Santorum, who finished a distant third here. Doesn't that sound like the, the Trump, Cruz, Rubio? Back to the story here. The increasing strength of Mr. Romney was clear across nearly all segments of the Republican electorate. No state where Republicans have competed this year is more reflective of the na- the nation's geographical, political, and ethnic diversity than Florida, and its complexity seemed to help Mr. Romney to turn back the grassroots coalition that Mr. Gingrich had been counting on. There we go again, turning back the grassroots coalition. It says, Mr. Romney defeated Mr. Gingrich by a margin of 15 percentage points, a telling gap that his campaign had hoped would be large enough to diminish Mr. Gingrich's ability to be considered a credible threat to his winning the nomination. Mr. Gingrich did not see it that way. He spoke to a crowd holding signs reading, 46 states to go, and he said he had a message for those wondering what he would do from here. Quote, this is Gingrich. We are going to contest every state, he said, and we're going to win, and we'll be the nominee in August. He did not congratulate Mr. Romney for his victory, nor did he call him. Sensing a new opening in the race, Mr. Santorum told supporters on Nevada to, in Nevada on Tuesday night that he intended to emerge as the true conservative alternative instead of Mr. Gingrich, who he said had his chance, but it didn't work. He began running new commercials in Nevada and Colorado comparing Mr. Gingrich to Mr. Obama. The victory by Mr. Romney, delivered by a diverse coalition of the Republican electorate, allowed him to return to the hard job of pulling together a divided party and begin anew his argument that he has the best chance of beating Mr. Obama. (laughs) And he lost to Mr. Obama. I'm going to get to Romney in a little bit. Back to the story here. Quote, My leadership will end the Obama era and begin a new era of American prosperity, Mr. Romney said, looking beyond his Republican rivals. As the crowd cheered his name, he added, When we gather here seven months from now for our convention, ours will be a united party with a winning ticket for America. Wow. And we think this year's is like unlike anything we've ever seen before. Then I found another one. This New York Times is dated Friday, January 27th, 2012. 
And it says, GOP establishment exerts what influence it has against Gingrich. So Gingrich was that anti-establishment, even though he'd been a Speaker of the House. But the Republican establishment tried to oust Gingrich in favor of their candidate, Mr. Romney. So it says here, the old, guard, the old guard of the Republican Party has suddenly surfaced with some acid criticism of Newt Gingrich and warnings that he would be crushed in November, seeking to impose some discipline on an electorate that seems to be flirting seriously with nominating Mr. Gingrich for president. Take out Mr. Gingrich and put Trump in there. Let me read that again. and just and I'll read it with Trump. Don't forget, this is from January 27th of 2012. The old guard of the Republican Party has suddenly surfaced with some acid criticism of Donald Trump and warnings that he would be crushed in November, seeking to impose some discipline on an electorate that seems to be flirting seriously with nominating Mr. Trump for president. And you think what we're seeing has never happened before? Here the old guard, it says. Goes on to say Republicans have traditionally tended to be hierarchical, choosing their nominee in an orderly and almost predictable fashion that gave deference to the preferences of elected officials and favored experience, brand names, and electability. But in in an era where party leadership, party leaders are ceding power to grassroots conservatives who are defined by populism and offered often angered at institutions, it is not cleared that there's a meaningful Republican establishment any longer, or if there is, that its efforts to exert influence would be anything but counterproductive to its cause. So we're looking at the same darn thing today, where the grassroots are being ignored. This is why in 2016, many traditional Republican voters have said, that's, that's it, we're done. They saw it in 2012. They saw it in 2008 with the nomination of John McCain. They're pushed to the side. They weren't listened to. And they've had it. And they're not going back. They've been here before. Basically, the Trump supporters who, who like to call themselves Republican, traditional Republican voters, they've said, or they're saying, been there done that back to the story beyond the fate of Mr. Gingrich and his chief rival for the presidential nomination Mitt Romney what is unfolding among Republicans is a compelling test of just how much politics has been changed by the forces that gave rise to the Tea Party movement this is fun this is really fun so there's a bunch of other articles in here I read I think it's enough to, to, to go into, but to illustrate that what we're going through right now is not unlike anything we've ever seen before. The names change. Don't forget, four years is a long period of time. Our, mem- our memories work where we can sift through and the things more recent in time are what we remember. But this is kind of interesting. Uh, we're going to get into Trump factor when we come back. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo. At best, a plurality of Democrats are self-avowed socialists. 
so when when their people betray them, when when Hillary Clinton, for example, may be looking at a, at criminal prosecution, they don't care. Who who's going to give me stuff paid for by somebody else? That's all we want. We don't care what you do. We don't care about your honesty. We don't care about what kind of caliber you are. It's different on the Republican side. Chris Salcedo, Saturdays noon to three p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> To David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Going back to something I talked about in the first segment, Montana State Sheriffs Association, Western State Sheriffs, and uh, Bureau of Land Management. I looked it up. The podcast is from January 9th of 2016, if you want to go back and listen to it. I stand by what I said, and uh, it's right there if you want to hear. And if you think I'm wrong, that's fine. You could tell me about it on you know, the People's Sheriff or on Twitter. I want to stay with this presidential primary, the GOP. I want to make it clear, and I have to do this every single time. And this is not an endorsement of Donald Trump. I've talked about why I like Donald Trump, that he's created great disruption in this otherwise sleepy, sloggy, I don't know, is that a word or not? Primary process where all we get are talking points, poll-tested answers, stump speeches over and over and over again. And he came in and tipped over the apple cart. He forced people out of their comfort zones and into a type of campaigning they weren't ready for and that they're not good at. It's unorthodox. But I have to say that because it'll be misinterpreted, and it has before, where people have tweeted Clark's uh, endorsing Donald Trump or whatever, and I haven't endorsed anybody in this race. And I'm unlikely to. Okay? and, and but But this stuff is kind of interesting because of the parallels from this GOP establishment and how they're going to make sure, you know, we're too stupid to figure this out. You heard some, you heard what I read from the 2012 New York Times, flirting with the idea of nominating Newt Gingrich. And they wanted to restore some order because the voters are too stupid to nominate somebody, so they have to do it. But I want to touch on Romney for a little bit. Romney appeared at CPAC, and he spoke. I thought his speech was disgraceful. Many of you probably heard it. If you haven't, go back and listen to it. That, what he did in trying to take out Trump, that was for Cruz to do who spoke. That was for Rubio who who came to the uh, CPAC and he spoke, that's certainly within line for them to do. You know, this is where Ronald Reagan, CPAC, came and delivered his A Time for Choosing speech, one of the most profound speeches I think that he ever gave. If you get a chance, search engine at Google, your favorite search engine, it doesn't matter which one, and read it. It's fascinating. 
So instead of coming to this conservative forum and talking about conservatism, he's there to try to take out Trump. Basically, what Mitt Romney was telling the those in attendance was, you're too stupid. You Trump supporters are too stupid. And we have to do your thinking for you. The voters will figure it out. It's we the people. It's the consent of the government. It's the voters that get to decide. It's not the party. It's the voters. Mitt Romney had his chance. Mitt Romney was the nominee in 2012. You heard me read from some of his quotes. We're going to win this thing. I wish he would have had that kind of fire in the belly when he had Obama on the ropes in 2012. He backed off. He he didn't want to appear to be too rough on the black guy. So he went soft in the last two debates, and he allowed Obama to get off the mat and back into that race. Mitt Romney lost to an incumbent president who had been in the worst position ever when you look at things like the economy, unemployment, inflation. No incumbent president had as bad a record as Barack Obama and won re-election, and Obama beat Romney. I don't want to hear from Romney. I'm sorry. Mitt, you know, just go away. It's kind of interesting because the theme of this year's CPAC was our time is now. That's what the conservatives were saying. Our time is now. Our time. Mitt needs yesterday. I'm sorry. Mitt Romney's yesterday. I want to hear from him. So, I'm looking at Trump's numbers, and you heard me talk about this before. You know, he's, he's, he's in the mid-30s. He got up to 40 in one of the primaries. Well, over 40 is a matter. Matter of fact, on uh, Super Tuesday. And I wonder about this. What should I call it? Uh, Phenomena. I wonder if Trump's support is secretly a lot higher than the poll numbers are showing because people are afraid to say anything about it, about their support from. I come across this story. This is why I asked. From The Guardian. It says, not even my wife knows. Secret Donald Trump voters speak out. On paper, I would probably like a guaranteed Cruz or Rubio vote. I'm a millennial woman. My parents immigrated from Castro's Cuba. This is from uh, Amber Jamison, by the way. I work as a trial attorney in Miami and a born-again Christian. But I'm voting for Donald Trump, and I've convinced all my friends and families to do so as well. My sister worked for him and has spoken glowingly of him for years, just like everyone else who actually knows the man. I trust her judgment more than any random pundits. Actions speak louder than words, and he has demonstrated that he is at heart a caring person through his many random acts of kindness. His peers say there are two Trumps, the brash character he portrays himself as and the decent man they know behind closed doors. It's clearly a strategy his proclamations have kept him on the front pages. 
Before he ran, the left stranglehold on a national conversation of what is or isn't tolerable was getting stronger by the minute. It was the year of Caitlyn Jenner, Rachel Dolezal, Black Lives Matter. Anyone who even hinted at disapproval was exiled. Every week, someone would dare to blurt out something on PC, and the media would absolutely crucify them. It had me thinking, this was it. We've lost. How on earth can we hope to defeat these people with their complete domination of the national conversation and relentless relentless narrative of progress, tolerance, acceptance, feels? Political correctness is the birthplace of disastrous un-American policies that will destroy this country in a death by a thousand cuts. But here comes Trump, the first person who didn't even blink when the machine turned its sights on him. He didn't just fight back. He chewed it up and he spit it out. Again, this is Amber Jamerson writing in the the Guardian. And I'm wondering, and it goes on here to talk uh, some stuff about other people, secret Trump admirers said, I would never tell any, I don't tell my friends, I'm afraid of what their reaction would be. I'm wondering how many people, anybody who says Trump can't beat Mrs. Bill Clinton in November, they, they don't know what they're talking about. Nobody knows. But I wonder how many people secretly that if the polls were able to register him, Trump's numbers might be higher than we're actually seeing. Maybe he's not stuck at 35%. I mean, we're going to find out. March 15th is coming. But I think this is an interesting phenomenon. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. Thank you for taking the time to read this. My prayers uh, go out to Israel, and they go out to Taylor, his wife, his family, and all the others who were harmed by these recent attacks. That's Josh Springer, a veteran, writing on Facebook. It is a reminder, a reminder of what we face, uh, what we face out there. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. The final segment here, I want to read a speech to you that I delivered in Washington, D.C. last week at the Capitol Hill Club before a group of conservative House members chaired by Stephen King from Iowa. It was picked up by some of the blogs and uh, some other posts, but they paraphrased what I had said, and I want to give you the benefit of the entire speech, so here we go. Let's go back in time to August 2014 in a then-obscure suburb of St. Louis called Ferguson, Missouri. A police officer used deadly force on a young black male who had attacked and tried to disarm him. The conditions were ripe for an igniter to come along and set an already enraged community on fire. In come the riot starters. Who were the riot starters? Author Eugene Methvin detailed them precisely in his book, The Riot Makers. They are community organizers leftists who specialize in fostering disorganization and rebellion. They stoke a bitterness, anger, and resentment in people who think they've been denied a better life, not by their own doing, but because of some external reason. These subversives program black people to hate and then mobilize that anger and frustration toward a target. 
What is the hate target? The police. These riot starters conduct a nonstop campaign of police baiting. They design an artificial list of perpetual grievances, and at the top of their list, stop police brutality, even when no empirical evidence or peer-reviewed data, data proves its existence. The call to stop police brutality is a powerful emotional rally cry to mobilize poor, black, uneducated, and unmotivated slum dwellers. Why do these ideological creeps target the police? Because the police are on the front lines of ordered liberty and because the police are a handy whipping post in the American ghetto. The police are an omnipresent hate target in the community every day as representatives of authority and agreed upon societal norms. We call these norms the rule of law. Author and brilliant thinker Thomas Sowell reminds us that if we're going to have law, then we have to have law enforcement. The cop haters make the police the scapegoat for the failure of liberal politicians. These politicians are clueless in providing strategies to reduce and reverse the urban pathologies of dysfunctional families, generational poverty, which has become a lifestyle, failing schools, High unemployment, drug and alcohol abuse, and crime and violence are among those pathologies. Riots are caused by the failures of government, and in many large cities, those failures were caused by Democratic politicians pushing an agenda of liberalism, which is conduct without borders and unbridled chaos. Modern liberalism created inescapable poverty and chronic unemployment. Modern liberalism tore families apart, specifically black families. Modern liberalism shackled poor and minority people to crime-ridden ghettos with inadequate housing and failing schools. This destructive, perverted ideology called modern liberalism emasculated black men. It made them disposable. It forced their children to grow up without engaged fathers in their lives as role models, providers, and protectors. Modern liberalism celebrates black underachievement. It makes excuses for abhorrent behavior and and questionable lifestyle choices like gang involvement, drug and alcohol abuse, and school failure. These are the pathologies that create riots. All that is needed is a catalyst. When these pathologies crystallize, ghettos become a tinderbox that can explode at the slightest provocation, and police incidents are always used as a spark that ignites this volatile mix. This isn't new, however. It is the old SDS of the 1960s, the Students for a Democratic Society. The same group that created the Black Panther Party now resurrects it in the name of Black Lives Matter. Don't be fooled about the identity, the tactics, and objectives of this dangerous movement. Black Lives Matter, which I have renamed Black Lies Matter, specializes in intimidation, stoking racial discord and sloganeering. Remember, hands up, don't shoot. That lie once discovered spawned Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is the bastard child of hands up, don't shoot. The whole movement is based on a lie and therefore it is an illegitimate movement. It has always been the the, intent of the riot starters to turn the unfortunate incidents of police use of force into a political construct with the goal of keeping uninformed blacks upset over phantom racial issues. White leftists are using it to create voter registration drives and get out the vote mechanisms, especially in a general election year. Remember, this is 2016, a national general election year. Nothing about this group has anything to do with improving the lives of black folks. The favorite tactic of this subversive movement is to organize protest rallies. They do it by manipulating poor people through calls for violence. 
The rallies are comprised of an assortment of misfits, including roving bands of criminals, rowdy juveniles, cop haters, anarchists, university students, and organized labor. Conspicuously, many of the people at these rallies are white liberals. Then comes the calls for defanging police departments. The goal of this anti-police propaganda is to immobilize the police into such a state of weakness that police no longer have the nerve to enforce law and order. This is occurring even in the face of a violent challenge like Baltimore, Maryland, where a misguided mayor motivated by demands from an angry mob gave the rioters space to riot. A weakened police department then allows these anarchists to engage in acts of violence, disorder, and chaos, which threatens the state of our legally constituted government. These riot starters did precisely that in Ferguson, Baltimore, Chicago, New York, Minneapolis, and other large cities last year. It worked in Newark, Chicago, and the Watts section of Los Angeles, Detroit, and 14 other cities in the 1960s where violent, deadly riots ruined large sections of these cities. Afterwards, these riot starters demand federal money to rebuild. Politicians, fearful of more trouble or being labeled as racist, usually oblige. They spend billions in federal dollars to rebuild and revitalize ghettos and start anti-poverty programs. Things never improve, however, because the money is siphoned off to fund the leftist organizing machine for more political power. This has to stop. It is political suicide for the GOP to try to appease, capitulate, or engage in acts of self-flagellation. My message to them, don't provide the knife with which the left will metaphorically slit your throat. You may wonder why I call this movement Black Lives Matter. Well, because if black lives really mattered, these riot starters, they would support the American police officer who puts their life on the line every day to go into the slums to serve and protect the overwhelming majority of law-abiding black people who live there. If black lives really matter to this group, they would protest in front of abortion clinics in New York City where more black babies are aborted every year than any other racial demographic. If black lives truly matter to them, they would be on a nonstop protest in Chicago today to slop, stop the slaughter of black people and black-on-black crime. Instead, they protest the anomaly of blacks killed in police interactions, most of whom pose a threat to the officer at the time, or were engaged in criminal activity forcing the police officer to use force. In the first two months of 2016, in a great city of Chicago, 100 people have been murdered in street violence compared to 47 in 2015. Another 420 have been shot in non-fatal shootings compared to 129 in 2015. Over 90% of the victims are black, as are the perpetrators. The police have not shot any of these victims. Apparently, the lives of people, of black people in Chicago don't really matter to the Black Lives Matter group. Instead, Black Lives Matter has turned into a political movement for self-serving race baiters to reap what they have not earned and what they have not worked for, like self-proclaimed Black Lives Matter co-founder Marissa Janae Johnson, who said recently, and I quote, What's it going to take to dismantle white supremacy is white folks actually got to give something up. You have to sacrifice yourself and have to be willing to give up things that you currently benefit from. She went on to say, quote, Do you know how horrific it is to grow up as a child in a world that so hates you? End quote. My response to that is, And how did Barack Obama become president of the United States in a world that so hates black people? That, ladies and gentlemen, is extortion. I guess this is the new 
reparation for slavery narrative. Folks, this is not a peaceful protest movement. If you think it is, then you have fallen into their web of lies. This is a totalitarian movement that author Eugene Methvin correctly identified as an organized preachment of hate and viciousness in the name of virtue. He said that it must be opposed wherever it appears, whatever the cost, so that future generations may have their opportunity to enjoy and defend in turn ordered liberty under law. Ronald Reagan referred to these moments in history as a time for choosing. I choose to stand and fight these subversives, and I employ, implore you to help me fight. That was the speech. It's all the time we have for today. Follow me on Twitter at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, and at thepeoplesheriff.com. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, The People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio.